And with that being said, I'd like to open this up in prayer this morning, and then I'm going to tell you all a little bit about myself. So let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you right now, and we just ask that you'd be glorified through this service and that we'd be able to absorb whatever we can from your word today, and you'd light a fire in all of us that we would just burn for you and that we would praise you with our words, our songs, and not only those, but with our actions as well. And Lord, we just thank you for this time here today and all these things in your son's name. Amen. All righty. So a lot of you guys know my family, the Holtz. There's quite a bit of us. And some of you guys are under the impression that I am the nice Holt boy. I'm about to completely ruin that for you guys. So when I was a youngin, around six, seven, we hosted a small group at my house and stuff. And I absolutely loved the small group. All the kids would come over and play and we'd do different things. We'd go outside and play football and basketball. And in the wintertime, it's too cold to do those things, so we'd have to go upstairs inside my room. We would play toys and Nerf guns and you know all that stuff, watch movies. But there was this one time that I remember thinking that I was going to die because I hadn't had anything to drink for the entire time that small group was going on. And I was a little dehydrated, very dramatic. And if you ask my family, they'd tell you that I was super emotional as a kid. <laughs> but anyways, I was sitting there on the bed and I just had one thing on my mind. That was a glass of sweet tea. That's all I wanted. That was all I needed at this point. And while I sat there, they were watching the Incredibles movie and stuff. And the time finally came. My sister comes up, knocks on the door. She's like, hey guys, small group's over. You can come downstairs. I'm like, yes, I'm going to live. <laughs> so I make my way downstairs into the kitchen. And then what I seen that moment was the most unholy thing I've ever seen at this. Like in this point in my whole life, my older brother, Jared, was holding the whole gallon of sweet tea and he's threatened to drink it all. So he's sitting there and stuff saying all these things and I'm begging him not to drink it. I just wanted a little bit, not much, just a little bit. And he looks at me and goes, uh, uh, and he just starts chugging the whole thing. <laughs> so I go into a blind rage. And I'm just sitting there, I go like, ah, and I go and I just punch the tea jug right into his face. <laughs> he starts crying. Sister walks in, takes me by the hand, and I was heartbroken after this. Like, as soon as I see him start crying, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> but my sister comes, she brings me into my parents' room. You can probably guess what happens next. <laughs> so the moral of the story is do not get between me and my sweet tea. <laughs> the actual moral of the story is I can guarantee at some point in your life, you've had a similar experience. I hope not that experience, but a similar experience to where you've had a great passion or enthusiasm for something. to where you do anything to have or to achieve that thing, whether it be families, jobs, sports, whatever it may be, we've all been zealous for something. Today, we're gonna to be talking about being zealous for God and what that looks like. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to Numbers chapter 25, verses one through 11. I'll give you guys a second and get turned there. Alrighty. While the people lived in Achaia, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These, talking about the daughters of Moab, invited the people to the sacrifices of their God. 
And the people bowed down and ate to their gods. So Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord might turn away from Israel. And Moses said to the judges of Israel, each of you kill those of his men who have yoked themselves to Baal of Peor. And behold, one of the people came and one of the people of Israel came and brought a Midianite woman to his family in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the whole congregation of the people of Israel. While the people were weeping in the entrance of tent of meeting, when Phinehas, son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, saw it, he arose and left the congregation, took a spear in his hand, and went after the man of Israel into the chamber and pierced the both of them, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly. Thus, the plague on the people of Israel was stopped. Nevertheless, those who died by it were 24,000. That is a very bizarre story. Like when I read this for the first time, I was like, what in tarnation is going on here? <laughs> it's kind of hard to see how it applies to us. But when you start picking at it and seeing what's actually going on here, you see that Israel was living in a place that ultimately was not their home. They were being sexually immoral. They joined the worship of the great Canaanite God of fertility, which is Baal. And you see that a man brings a Midianite woman at the entrance of the tent of meeting in the sight of everybody. You see Phineas, he gets up and he sees this and he says, my God said this is wrong. I'm not gonna stand for it. And he goes and stabs a couple with a spear. It's kind of hard to see how that applies to us. But when you read verses 10 and 11, you see, and the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, son of Aaron the priest, has turned back my wrath from the people of Israel in the way that he was jealous with my jealousy among them so that I did not consume the people in my jealousy. This applies to us here because Phineas didn't just say, God, I love you. He just didn't sing praises and that was the only thing he did. He proved his zeal for God, his zealousness for God through an action. And that's how the Bible calls us to love God. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus was saying here, if you want to love me, if you want to prove and to show your love for me, keep my commandments. <laughs> Jesus also said through the apostle Paul, I appeal to you therefore, uh, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is saying, take everything that you are, everything that you are, your family, your personality, your actions, your bank account, your friends, everything that makes you, you, taking it to God and saying, it belongs to you. You are the Lord of my lips. You're the Lord of my songs and my praises and my actions. Just to clarify, I'm not saying we do these things so that we can work our way into heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 say, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Salvation is completely a gift of God. Completely a gift of God. So why are we talking about this then? Why are we talking about going out and doing these things for God. Because the church has fallen into this Christianity where all it takes 
to be a follower, a follower of Christ is going to church once or twice a week and you're good. You're not gonna find that in the Bible. Luke 9.23 says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And I know we have a respect and we have a reverence for what Jesus is saying here, but we don't understand the weight of what he was saying. This was a call to death. This was a call to come to the end of yourself. The cross is how they dealt with the worst of people. And everyone knew in that time, if you were looking at the cross, you were staring death in the face. That's what the call to the gospel is. It's coming to the end of yourself, surrendering, surrendering everything to yourself and laying down your life. And I know it's not a comfortable picture, but in that it is one of the most beautiful things that I have ever uh, been able to witness because what you see here is you see the transformation of a sinner with no hope, no value, no purpose, and he is transformed into someone who is dying to themselves with a purpose, dying to themselves daily for something greater than themselves. It is completely a miraculous act by God, and it's crazy. And a perfect example of this is the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 7 is a heartbreaking chapter. You witness the murder of an innocent man, and his crime was him speaking the truth to people. And you witness a man filled so much with the love of God that while people were stoning him to death, he cries out, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And we hear that and it's honestly amazing. We're like, I hope I can have that someday. I hope I can have the love of God indwell me that much to where we can have that. But to sinners like Saul, which you guys know is Paul, but to sinners like that, they just look at it and scoff. The beginning of chapter eight, you see that Saul not only witnessed all of this, witnessed the stoning of the, his, uh, the man's name was Stephen, the stoning of Stephen, he also approved of his execution, starting in chapter eight. And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. I hope you guys understand how terrible Saul was. He had a hand in the murder of an innocent man and then was going out of his way to persecute Christians, going out of his way to put them into jail. Yet in chapter nine, he has one encounter with God, one encounter, and he is transformed into the person who wrote most of the New Testament. That is insane. And how insane that is when he tried to go join the other disciples, they were all afraid of him. In verse 29, in, uh, no, verse 26 in chapter nine, he says, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. The disciples were probably thinking, this guy just tried to have us killed. He tried to have us put in prison 
and he had one of us killed. He approved of one of our brothers in Christ to be killed. And now he's one of us. Again, I say that is the beauty of the gospel. It takes essentially garbage and starts transforming that garbage into a diamond. And this is only by the miraculous act of God. So you see this all throughout the Bible, yet Christians are falling into the idea that all you have to do, go to church once or twice a week and you're good. All you have to do, which logically does not make sense to me. Let me explain myself. So let's say I come up the church 15 minutes late. You guys are wondering where I'm at, wondering what I'm doing and stuff. I come up 15 minutes late and I'm like, hey, party people, how's it going? And you guys ask me, what in the world was I doing that made me 15 minutes late? And so I started explaining to myself, I was like, well, okay, I was gonna be on time. I was driving over here. My car broke down, which if you guys knew what car I drove, that would be very believable. But <laughs> driving over here, my car breaks down and I go outside and I fix the car. And as I put the hood down, a bear starts attacking me. So I have to go and I start having to fist fight this bear off and stuff. And we're rolling around in the mud and doing different, just doing different things. And I get up hand on the bear to where I was almost able to leave. And then a pig comes out of nowhere and starts biting me on the leg. And so they're both fighting me now. And how I got out of the situation is I convinced the bear to start eating the pig. And so I was been able to leave. Now, besides that story being completely ridiculous, what would be indicators that I was telling a lie? I'm actually asking you, you can answer if you want to. <laughs> hmm? Exactly. Me not having a limp, me, my clothes not being torn up, my hair still being fixed, all these different things are pointing this to being logically impossible for me to come into contact with a creature of that strength, power, and magnitude and not be changed by it. And I am assuming that you guys think that God is more powerful than Pooh Bear and Piglet over there. <laughs> so this doesn't make sense for this laziness to come about from logic. That's why I don't believe that this laziness has come from logic. It's come from a heart issue. And this heart issue has come from the heresy that all you have to do to be justified, to be saved and to be declared righteous before a holy God is just say these words. Just say this prayer and you're good. How dare us that we could ever think that we could barter our way into God's presence with using words. What a slap in the face to his holiness. I'm going to say this. I said this in the first service. I do not care if I hurt feelings because I'd rather be the guy to hurt your feelings than to watch you people walk into hell. A prayer will not and cannot save you. The only thing that can, the only thing that can is putting your full faith and your life in Christ, in him alone. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whomsoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. John three eighteen. whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Acts sixteen thirty one. and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10, nine, because if you confess with your mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
So you see, there is a false gospel being promoted and it's affecting the church that's not even buying into it really. Because if you keep hearing that all you have to do is pray a prayer and all that you have to do is go to church once a week, eventually that song is gonna get stuck in your head and it's going to affect how you walk yourself. So what is the church, what are we supposed to do about this false gospel? We know from the Phineas story, just sitting around and weeping about it isn't gonna do anything. Like Phineas, we have to destroy this abomination that has come about. We cannot allow this thing to live. But unlike Phineas, we are not going to stab people with spears. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We cannot use the things of this world to deal with this. We have to use the word of God and the truth of the gospel if we are going to deal with this. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you, may, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, having put on the brass plate of righteousness. And as for shoes for your feet, having <clears throat> the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. I wish I had more time so I could go in depth with this passage, this beautiful passage, and there's a lot we can take away from it. But the one thing I wanna point out for this there is no armor for your back because we're not called to sit and wait. We are called to go. We're called to deal with the problem that is in front of us. And we're not supposed to stop until the task has been dealt with. So Tree Life, I am asking you to take up the whole armor of God. And taking up the whole armor of God involves us getting off our butts and doing something. We can't just sit around and expect someone to do it for us. Look back at the Phineas story. Israel was in sin, no one doing anything about it. Then Phineas comes up, doesn't say a word. He comes up and he sees the sin that God cannot tolerate, cannot tolerate. And he goes, God, his lips didn't tell me this, his actions told me this. He said, God, as your humble servant, I'm going to take care of this for you because I know you cannot tolerate this, so neither will I. That's the mentality that we need to have. When we see this false gospel, that's the mentality that we need to have. We need to go out and take care of this because when people are saying that, oh, just pray this prayer and you're fine, one, we already looked at, it's disrespectful towards God. And then two, it's a flat out lie. Jesus said, he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. But here we are, same situation that Israel was, sin everywhere, and we're just sitting around doing nothing about it. It's time for us to take up the whole armor of God 
and go to war against this. And if you're not willing to go to war for the person that you call God, you need to stop playing Christian because you're taking my God's name in vain. The Bible says, you will know them by their fruits. And if, not, and if you do not bear fruits, you've done two things. One, you've just prayed a prayer and you're not saved or you've hardened your heart to the Holy Spirit and you need to repent and you need to get right with God. I cannot stress this enough because there are going to be people on judgment day that are going to be crying out to God saying, God, I went to church. God, I gave to the church. And most of all, I prayed a prayer. I prayed you into my heart. And he's gonna turn around and say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Do you understand how terrifying that is? There might be people in this room that have succumbed to this lie. And there might be people in this room that are going to spend an eternity apart from God because of one lie. And if that doesn't motivate you to get up and go do something about this, I wanna ask you how much hate do you have in your heart? Is being the person that everybody likes worth that? Is being politically correct nowadays worth that? Or what about the time that we've spent on social media when we could have been going out and sharing the gospel? Is that worth someone going to hell? If we are gonna see a change in this nation, if we're gonna see a change in this church, because this nation and this church are hurting right now. There's a pandemic going on outside. But if we wanna see change, it has to start with you. Not the person who cut you off on the way over here, not the person who got your order wrong at McDonald's, not the person sitting beside you. It has to start with you and your relationship with God. Last week when I was uh, working with Liberty Baird, she's actually my boss, we work at a thrift store, and we were going through a donation. She finds this book, and I can't remember who the author is. something Kelly. I can't remember who the author is, though. And the people were talking very highly about this person. So Liberty kind of goes through, and she's like, you know what, I'm gonna read the first four pages. I was like, okay. So the story was actually a story about the author and his family, and the author had to give a speech one night. He had no idea what he was gonna do. So he's in his office trying to write down some stuff and he still couldn't figure it out. Wife comes in and she's, she says like, hey, honey, I need to go do something. Can you come in and watch the boy for a little bit? He's like, oh, okay, I can come do it. So he sucks it up and he goes and starts playing with his boy. They were doing different things. Um, I think it was like playing video games or something, I can't remember. <laughs> but few hours go by and he looks at his watch. He says, oh my goodness, I have like two hours left, two to three hours left. And he's like, I need to get my speech done. So he goes, takes a magazine and starts ripping up a page that had a picture of the world on it. And he goes, lays it out in front of his son. And he was like, if you can fix this, if you can put all the pieces back together, fix the world, I'll give you $20. And the son's like, okay, I can do that. And so the dad was thinking to himself, he's like, oh, I got tons of time. He's like, there's no way he knows what the world looks like. So he goes to his office again, starts working on his speech. 15 minutes later, son knock, comes knocking on the door. It's like, hey, dad. It's like, I got it finished. And he's holding the whole thing and it's completely done. And the dad's wondering, 
how in the world did you do this so quickly? And the son said something so innocent, yet so true at the same time. He goes, well, dad, if you look right here, there's a man on the page. And I know what a man looks like. So I figured if I fixed the man, the world would be fixed as well. Change has to start with you. It has to start with your heart. We have been building our lives on a weak foundation, a foundation that cannot hold its ground against storms or the waves of life, whatever may come, it's not gonna hold. The only thing that will is if we build our lives on Christ. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 through 27, he's concluding the Sermon on the Mount and it was a beautiful passage. He taught so much truth. It was just a beautiful passage, but here's what he concludes with. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the winds blew on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. I do not want that to be the story for this church. It cannot be the story of this church. It is time for us to surrender all that we have all that we have because there are people in this nation, in our community, in this church that have succumbed to this lie. And even that, they're just flat out not Christians. And we are sitting and watching them walk into hell. I do not want that. One, I don't want that on my conscience. And then two, my God has commanded me to go out and preach the gospel. And the sad thing is I haven't done it. It is time for us to surrender all that we have to God and do what he's called us to do. We have been building on sand for far too long and it's time for us to knock all that out and start building on Christ. So application, the Bible tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Don't just leave this place to go back to sit on the couch. Scripture is something that we learn to live by. It's something that controls us. It's something that controls our thoughts, our words, our, and our actions. Again, do not leave this place. Please, I'm begging you. There are people out there who need you to step up. Do not go back Monday morning to sitting on the couch. The reference is Philippians chapter two, verse 12. Number two, James chapter two talks about faith producing works. Where is your faith producing works? Or are they producing works? There are multiple ministries in this church. Multiple. And some of them really need help. They're really struggling right now. What have you been doing to help or are you doing anything to help? Because if not, it's time to step up. My buddy Will, he's gonna come. He's gonna share some things. But true life in a nation right now that is telling you, you do you, you use that freedom and you go be zealous for God. I love you guys. Thank you for your time.